Good morning, church family. It is so good to be here with you today. We're into the final part of our series on prayer. And I probably have ignored the brief just a little bit today, so please forgive me. Um, Because it's been a season uh, for the beginning of the year of mountains and valleys, right? And I'm going to sound a bit repetitive in my intro, so do forgive me. But it's been mountains and valleys. It's been mountaintop experiences and has also been depths of despair and sorrow and brokenness where we've seen blessings of God come from those as well in our own church family. Um, There's been anointings for people who are not in a great way. There's been people that have been very sick, but at the same time, there's been joy, hasn't there? Those two things, a dichotomy. How on earth do they exist together in our world? I've had some people share with me before that that these two opposite things, they can't truly exist at the same time. I contend with you. In my life, I've got joy, and I've also got despair at the same time. And God is still present. In verse today, we're going to have a look at that. Have a look at how God is still present, even in our sorrow and our joy. Or if you will, our mountains and our valleys. And Katie, sometimes the mountains aren't all easy, are they? They can be a bit scary, and we don't know if we're going to make it. It's both and. As Christians, we have a database of language that I find people outside of our circle often don't know. Would anyone agree with that? If you're, if you're new to our church, would you agree with that there's a language you've kind of had to learn? I spoke in my last sermon, I said we, we use words like happy Sabbath, right? If you're not a Christian or a Jew, or an Adventist specifically, or a Jew, you're going to struggle to work out what that means. And in fact, if you were a Jew, you would say, what? Shabbat Shalom, right? We say happy Sabbath. But we have a whole language, a whole understanding of things that people outside of our world don't necessarily understand. And it's the same with prayer. When we pray, we have catchphrases that we use. We have little sentences that we string together as though somehow, as though somehow that makes us fit in With the group. Is God a God of our little languages that we throw together? Or is God a God that wants to know you and your heart and what you have to share with him through your every breath? So there's a few different ideas we're going to pull together today. But we have all these cliches that we share. But God still works with us even through those cliches. And God wants us to say what we actually mean to him and to others, to be clear, to have clarity. This example might land close to home with our language. For example, when someone's in a pit of despair and I've got everything going wrong, what do you think we say to them? I've heard it. People say, oh God, God has a plan. He's still working. Does the person in the pit of despair 
really care that God still has a plan and must have planned for their pit of despair? Not, not really, right? God isn't like that. God doesn't plan for you to experience hardship. I'm going to repeat that. God does not and did not and never has planned for you to experience hardship or sorrow. Unfortunately, hardship and sorrow and brokenness are a part of the world in which we find ourselves. In the book of Romans, it says that God uses all things for his glory. It's not saying he wanted the bad thing to happen. He's saying the bad thing happened and he still loves you and he's still with you in your pit or on your mountain and he still loves you. So mountains and valleys... The things we say in times of brokenness matter. Because God walks with us. And every breath we take can be an example of a prayer of blessing. If you were a Jew, um, you would know the word Yahweh. Does anyone here ever heard Yahweh before? In fact, Yahweh isn't even a word. We've added vowels in there that don't exist. It's Y-H-W-H. You can't say this word without breathing. Yahweh, in and out. The name of God for a Jew, the name of the God of the most highly impossible God, the God that is above all and is all in all. In fact, Yahweh basically means that God is the God of every breath, the only one who was, who is, and forever will be. God who was, who is, and forever will be. Whenever they breathed or recited the Shema, that was a prayer that God's name is upon our very breath, our pneuma or our spirit or our ruach. So I want to tell you this morning that, that wherever you are on your journey as we unpack the word, Yahweh, God, is with you in your breath. And every breath, every move you make, everything you do is a prayer. Isn't that more beautiful? We don't just pray in that, in that single time where we all kneel. That was a beautiful prayer, by the way, Katie. But that isn't the only time that we pray, right? And we don't just pray during our morning devotion and go on with the rest of our day. No, God is a God of our breath. Everything we do can be a prayer to Adonai, to God, to the Most High God. Whether you're in your valley or your mountain. So what, does, what do these mountains and valleys feel like? Is a mountaintop experience something that's joyous? Maybe you're feeling like this right now. Things are great. Awesome. God's still near to you. Or maybe you're feeling a bit like this. The walls are closing in. This image for me, is, it, it has a feeling to it, right? You're down the well. Things just aren't okay. The same God that was there is there, right? That's the same God. So let's unpack this. Because when do we want God to be near to us? As humans, we generally want God to be near to us when we're in the, va- in the valley, right? When we're in the depth of the pit of despair, we call on God's name. 
But when we're on the mountaintop, we forget to pray a prayer to our God. We think, maybe, maybe I can do this thing. Maybe I can measure up. But soon enough, we end up back in the pit, in the valley, in the brokenness. But our God is a God, as I said, who is near to us in both spaces because we can't see beyond our current state as humans. If I tell you when you're in your brokenness that it's going to be better tomorrow, does that help you? No. Coming alongside and saying, hey, this just sucks. This just hurts. I'm so sorry. I'm here for you. But God is near in that moment as well. Let's have a look at Psalm 22. If you've got your Bibles there, you can open it. You might have already marked it because it's a beautiful psalm. We're going to open it up because the author, as he opens up this psalm, he, he says some words which even Jesus repeats as well on the cross. What does he say? He starts it off with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God, why have you left me alone? Why have you abandoned me, is what the author's saying. You might be able to, to connect with this, this feeling that God cannot be in this mess. He then says, why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no Rest. Sometimes we're in that experience. I know I've been there recently, wondering, why is this so messy? Is there a way out? And as, as Christians, we often stop here in the, at this verse and we, we don't keep on reading. But I'm here to tell you there's a hope. There's a mountain, there's a great experience that's coming because there's been a great experience before. The author looks back and what does he see? He says, yet, I love that, the word yet. I'm broken, I'm at my lowest point, yet. You are enthroned as the Holy One. God is still God when you are at your lowest point. God is still God when you are on the mountain. You are the Holy One. You are the one that Israel praises. In you, our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you, what? Delivered them. God can deliver you. To you in this prayer, they cried out and were saved. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. I often come across people, often my friends actually, who are in a pit of despair. Things just haven't gone their way. And they think that they themselves have to be the one to fight and to prove themselves as correct or okay or as good enough. No, no, no. Who, who, who delivers them? God. Let God trust God, let your integrity stand and your faith 
in God stand and you will be not put to shame. It's going to be messy, in other words. It's going to be a bit broken. Yet God promises that he will come through for you. I can tell you that God has come through for me multiple times. There's been times where I think I have to get in there and solve this mess. And what does God do? He works it through before I have the time and the energy to make that happen. He's got it. I want to turn to, a, to, a, to another passage. We're going to come back to Psalms later, towards my conclusion. But in, Psalm, in Isaiah chapter 54, Isaiah chapter 54, the story of Israel is an interesting one. In fact, the story of Israel is basically the story of humanity. Israel were told that I'm your people, you're my people. What did they do? They went the other way. God brought them back and God said, you are my people. And what did they do? They went the other way. And then it happened again. And it happened again and again and again. And as you read through the, 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 the prophets, through Amos, through Obadiah, through Daniel as well, which we've just gone through and are going to continue to go through. As you go through all of these prophets, you see this story of Israel, a nation that is stubborn, that forgets their God very quickly. In fact, if you go back to where Israel got their name, it pretty much means that. One who wrestles with God. And so in Isaiah chapter 54, we discover that there's this future glory of Zion that is coming. In Isaiah 54, there's this future glory of Zion or Jerusalem or Israel that is coming, that they've messed up time and time again. But because they're faithful, God will glorify them. And... I don't want to read the whole thing. I'm going to read a few verses. In verse 4, this is, remember, this is, they're in the pit right now. And they're being told, you're going to have future glory. Verse 4, it says, Do not be afraid. You will not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. The Lord you will call back as if you were a wife deserted and distressed in spirit. A wife who married young only to be rejected, says your God. For a brief moment I abandon you, but with deep compassion I will bring you for a brief moment, they were broken, but God promises he will bring them back. It continues on, and I want to read verse 10. Verse 10 says, Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. God has compassion on you. Even though Israel feels like they're alone and they're broken and they're left deserted, God has compassion on them. Even though the mountains fall, even though they're in the pit of despair, God has compassion on them. 
Israel were living with the hope of future glory. Is there anyone left on earth who's living with the hope of, of a future glory? You are. It's by the power of the blood, right? Do you believe in Jesus? Then by the power of the blood, that cannot be changed. You have a hope of future glory. So many people think that they can make this glory happen for themselves. But it's only through prayer and through walking with Jesus that we receive and we understand this true glory. Because we're living with this future hope of glory. Some people think that when, when they become a Christian, that things are just going to all of a sudden get better and be perfect. Things will be okay. Sometimes things will be great. But more often than not, in a messy world, things are not so. What happens when things don't go our way? The early Christian church were on a high. Jesus had, had just ascended and they went out and they had the day of Pentecost and the church was growing. Nothing could come against them. Everything was sweet. Then in, in Acts chapter 12, which is where we're going to go next if you want to turn there, in Acts chapter 12, things take a turn for the worst. Now, Stephen had already been stoned, but, but he wasn't one of the 12. For people in the early church, they thought the 12 disciples were pretty solid, that they could not really be hurt. They had some special aura about them, and, and they, were, they were great, right? It was almost a bit of a God complex that had been built around them. But in Acts 12, something shocking happens to the early church. Things didn't go their way. God never promised that things would be messy, but he sent a comforter to be with us, a Holy Spirit to walk alongside us here on earth. So, about that time, this is Acts 12, King Herod laid violent hands upon some who belonged to the church. He had James, one of the twelve, the brother of John, killed with the sword. And as we read from some other material, we realise that the early church was praying fervently for John, sorry, for James to be spared. Was James spared? He was killed. Killed with the sword essentially is translated as, we suspect, beheaded. If you were an early church Christian, this would have rocked your faith. One of the twelve is dead. Verse 3. Herod got political. It says, after he saw that it pleased the Jews that they killed James, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. And this happened during the festival of unleavened bread of the Passover. When he had seized him, he put him in prison and handed him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending to bring him out to the people after the Passover. In other words, Peter is pretty much as good as dead. 
So while Peter was in prison, in verse 5, what did the church do? They, they prayed. Now they knew that things might not go their way because what had happened to James? He'd been killed. They knew that Peter, the rock of the church, might be in some pretty big danger right now. But yet, they prayed anyway, despite the fact a prayer hadn't been answered prior. Are we people who only pray to be blessed when things are going well and we're getting what we want answered? Or do we pray in all seasons of our lives? I want to contend that perhaps as Christians, perhaps we want to treat God like he's, he's a bit of a shop or a Santa. And we want to treat him like we're a bit consumeristic and we want whatever God's got for us, but we don't want to have to give up anything or lose anything or for things to go wrong. But we're in a messy world and things go wrong. So what happened in this circumstance? Was he killed? Thankfully, he was not. They prayed, and they prayed. Verse 6, the very night before Herod was going to bring him out. So he, it's right at the precipice, right? Right in that moment, the very night before Herod was going to bring him out, Peter, bound with two chains, was sleeping between two soldiers while guards were in front of the door, were keeping watch over the prison. He's in supermax, essentially. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared. A light shone in the cell. He tapped Peter on the side and woke him, saying, get up quickly. And the chains, they fell off his wrists. The angel said to him, fasten your belt, put on your sandals. He did so. Then he said, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. Peter went out and followed him and he did not realise what was happening with the angel's help was real. He thought he was seeing a vision. Even Peter thought that this could not happen. After they passed the first and the second guard, they came before the gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord. And they went outside and walked along the lane when suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hands of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. We can't explain things. Why was the prayer for Peter answered and not the prayer for James? I don't know. The Bible doesn't make it clear either. I don't know why sometimes people die when we pray for them and sometimes people are miraculously healed. I don't know why things sometimes get so messy and go so wrong. I don't know why so many things have happened to me. I don't know why so many things have happened to you. But I know that God is still the same loving God in both circumstances. He loves you. He cares about you. He's the God of Psalms 22 where we feel far away, yet he still will protect you. He does not want you to experience shame and brokenness. 
God is still God. In that, that's that verse, it says, Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one that Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. My ancestors have put their trust in this God. I'm here because of their faith. They trusted and God, you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. So where do you place your trust? I want to bring it back down to you. So we come towards a close in just a moment. I want to read from another psalm. Psalm 46. This is what it says. It says in verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her and she will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar and kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations here is brought on the earth. And he makes wars cease. We want that to happen today, don't we? To the ends of the earth, he breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. God cares about you. He cares about you. He cares about me. He cares about you and your journey. In my last sermon, we spoke about the blessing, how he goes around you, in front of you and behind you. I want to leave you with the question as we listen to this song, about the power that God has, that Christ has, that his blood has for you and your life. God's not going to abandon you. Where do you place your trust? Do you want to walk with God through every season of your life, through the brokenness, and the good times through the mountains and the valleys. As we sing our final song, I want you to commit this to yourself. Where do you place your trust in good times and in the sorrowful times?